You're listening to Faith by Hearing with Dave Delaney, Christian conversations about faith, family, and friends. At what point in the marathon was your thought, I can't finish? Did you ever think, I can't finish this? Multiple times. Oh my word. Really? How early was the first time you thought that? Truthfully? Yeah. Mile eight. Uphill. Top of Big Bear Mountain. Snow. Ice. Did the pressure of announcing that you're running the marathon on the podcast help you finish knowing that you would have to answer? My Knowing my podcast listeners were out there cheering for me pulled me through the marathon. It's true. What about you? You ran a Spartan. This was the easiest, most fun Spartan race I've ever ran. Six miles, 25 obstacles, but the, it wasn't a ton of elevation change, like 1,500 feet total for the race, so... We just kind of turned the whole thing into a sprint, and it, it was nice. It was the opposite of your race because it didn't take a lot of mental contribution at all. Just kind of turned my brain off and grinded. Hour, 30 minutes. The worst part was uh, I turned the corner for the final home stretch last quarter mile, and they had the uh, inflatables at the end of the road. Right. So I thought, yes, I made it. And I ran for what seemed like forever, and I felt like the inflatable was farther away than it was when I started. <laughs> And the guy who was like, you know, older than I was next to me looked at me and he says, are they moving that thing away from us? <laughs> I said, I think so. But we made it. Derek, what'd you, what'd you run this, this weekend? I ran to the grocery store and picked up, <laughs> picked up a couple groceries. Derek has the build to be faster than both of us. Is Guaranteed. Yeah. I've ran with Derek before, actually. He's very fast. Well, welcome to Faith by Hearing. This is episode three. Um, an authentic conversation about faith, family, and friends. And what we want to do at the start of this podcast is we want to kind of describe a little bit about what we hope to accomplish in these conversations. And we talked about friendship and the importance of authentic friendship and accountability. We talked about family last time and how family is really God's gift to us. Um, But today we want to talk about the faith. So an authentic conversation about faith. So, Evan, maybe start with you. What what does faith mean to you when we say an authentic conversation about faith? Well, to me, when I hear, especially the way that we use the faith in the podcast description, it would be the, you know, the system of beliefs by which we live, right? When we say the faith, it's the doctrines and teaching of, of God's Word that are core to how we live our life, that are core to how we view God. Uh, that are core to what we know from the Bible that God expects of us, that God asks of us. Um, the system of belief by which we navigate this life through a Christian lens is the faith, right? And I understand there's a couple directions we could go with that, that we've talked about, but that, that's what comes to my mind is the faith, what we believe, how we act. Yeah, I think of that verse in Jude, and it's verse 3, but Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that it is needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So Judah is making a distinguishing identifier between faith and the faith. He isn't saying that he wants them to contend for faith. He's telling them he wants them to contend for the faith. This system of belief, what we would understand as like Christian doctrine that's been given to them. So the word and all of it, 
because all of it's necessary for what they're facing in the church and all of it's necessary for what we're facing in the church as well. And he wants them to not just contend for that, but he wants them to cling to it. He wants them to hold to Christian teaching, the apostles' teaching in particular, the Word of God, which is what doctrine is. So I'm thinking of that verse where in John, thy word is truth. So that's probably how we would understand it in our culture today. We would say contend for the faith means contend for the truth, contend for the Word of God. And that's, you know, really that's what we're up against in this culture that the idea that truth doesn't matter or that truth is relative or that you can have your own truth or that you know you can just find your own truth out there in the universe somewhere what we would say is but the word of god is truth and that's what that's what we want to make sure that we're articulating that we're encouraging that we're you know having a conversation about because there are some parts of that which get overlooked in our world and there's some parts of that that we just need to be reminded of in our day and age. But but Jude says in that verse that earnestly contend for the faith, but then he says, which was once delivered to the saints. And so the faith, as it were, is complete. It's not ongoing. So we have a system of belief. We have a structure for which we can follow. And I, I maybe maybe you guys can give some ideas here, but what would some of those things be? Like the faith. So these these non-negotiables that we ought to cling to, that we ought to fight for, that we ought to contend for, regardless of what the culture around us might be saying or or, or believing, what, what would some of those things be that in future conversations we want to have conversation about? I think it starts at the top, right, is salvation by grace through faith, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us, right, that what we believe in regards to salvation is where it all comes down from. So that's the first thing that's a non-negotiable element of the faith to me would be how do you even, how do you come into the faith, right? Which is through salvation, which is a free gift that is not earned, that is given by what Christ did on the cross. I think it's important to say, of course, the gospel salvation. Jude is saying that I desire to write to you about the common salvation. That's really what I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to talk about the gospel. However, it's needful for me to tell you content for the faith. Right. Because all of the Bible is the word of God. And I think similar to the culture in which Jude is writing to, that's the culture that we live in. Because I think a lot of Christians would say, of course the gospel is important. Of course salvation is important. But all of the other stuff is second tier issues. And what we would say is, if it's the Word of God, it's not a second-tier issue. Hmm. If it's the Word of God, it's a first-tier issue. So, you know, you, you've you heard the, uh, the, the little truism, first-tier issues, we would hold to that, cleave to that. These second-tier issues, they should be a matter of charity and liberty. But the problem with saying whether it's a first-tier, second-tier, or third-tier issue is who decides what tier something goes. Right. So if it's in the word of God, it's a first tier issue. That's what we would say. That's the faith. So salvation would certainly be that. Something that comes to my mind, the inerrancy, infallibility, and sufficiency of the scriptures. A full understanding that God's word's been given to us. God's word's clear. 
God's word's understandable, and God's word in the end is enough for whatever we will face in this life. That's to me like one of the non-negotiables. I uh, I also think some of the non-negotiables, you know, sanctity of life, the virgin birth, Christ's substitutionary death on the cross. All of these would be first-tier issues because they're centered and found in the Word of God. So we live in a day and age where people are consistently adding to the Word, but they're also subtracting from the Word. And the Word of God, as it stands, is not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. It is the revelation of God for man today, and it's enough. So when we say an authentic conversation about the faith, this is this is what we're talking about. But that verse also says, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So it's already given. So in some ways, the conversations that we have about the faith are really old conversations. So Adrian Rogers has this great line where he says, if it's new, it's not true. So if somebody's got this like new idea of doing something, this new way, it's not true because what we're articulating are the oldest truths of them all because they're the word of God and they rest and they're placed in him. But I think what's also important to understand about that phrase is he says, which was delivered to the saints. That's what's been commended to us through primarily the word of God, but through the church, through Bible preaching and teaching. We've been given the faith, and maybe some of our listeners got saved when they were young. Maybe some of them got saved when they were old. But if you're a believer, Jude is saying that faith has been commended to you. It's been commended to me. And our responsibility is to fight for it, to cling to it, to hold to it, because we're to hand that off to a generation that's coming behind us. So hopefully some of the conversation moving forward would be, here's important elements of living out the word of God, following the truth, being people of the truth in a culture that says you can't know the truth. And if you have a particular topic that you would like for us to discuss, we want to know about it. And Evan, you can tell them how they can get us that information about something they'd love to hear us talk about. Yeah, that would be great to get in any of our uh, social media direct message boxes, um, Instagram at Faith by Hearing Podcast, as well as Twitter at FBH underscore podcast. Um, We also have an email address, which is faithbyhearing at gmail.com. And I know two things are true. Number one, every time we say, tell us something you want to hear about, some of you have things that come to your mind. The other thing that is true is that none of you have sent any of those things to us. So please don't be shy. Uh, We've appreciated feedback on past episodes, but the new ideas and things you'd like to hear about have been a little bit sparse. So if you have something, don't be shy. Reach out. Um, There's no dumb questions. There's no dumb ideas. We may not give you a whole episode on a topic, but anything you reach out about, we'd love to take a few minutes of an episode and commit it to that. What I also know is that sometimes when we talk about living out the faith in our world, we can feel overwhelmed we can feel, you know, negative thoughts or lies or anxiety about living out our faith in a in a day and age in which is very difficult to do that. So we want to talk about what it looks like to live in light of the faith. So because we have this truth, the word of God that we're aiming for, we're trying to walk in, we're trying to live in. So because we have this truth, like how does this work out practically in our lives? I think of it really in two ways. 
I think living out the Christian faith, there's a time in which we're supposed to play offense, and there's a time in which we're supposed to play defense. So the time in which we're supposed to play defense, like every good team, you need a good strategy to be able to follow. The time in which we play defense, Paul says in the book of Colossians in chapter number two, verse number eight, he says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. So he says at the very beginning of that, beware lest any man spoil you. And that word spoil literally means drag you away. So don't let someone come in and drag you away, literally take you captive. But then he tells us how, like the, the, the ways that we would be taken captive. We could be taken captive through philosophy, vain deceit, tradition of men, the rudiments of this world. And those are the ways in which as we seek to live out our faith in this life, we have to be on guard to make sure we aren't ending up adopting a philosophy that isn't in line with the Word of God or being drug off in some kind of way that takes us away from away from Christ. is specifically what he says. But what he also talks about to the Corinthians is he doesn't talk about just playing defense. He talks about playing offense. And in 2 Corinthians in chapter number 10, that he tells the church at Colossians, don't be taken captive. But then he tells the church at Corinth, take captive. Take captive every thought. So he says, there's times in your life where you have to play offense, and there's times in your life where you have to play defense. As you're trying to live out the faith, you need to make sure that you're taking captive every thought, every philosophy, every theory, everything culturally, everything socially, everything, even relationally. You can't just drift. No one drifts in directions of righteousness and holiness. We always drift in directions of sin and unrighteousness in our flesh. And so Paul is saying there's this necessity to live this life with a spirit that says, I'm not going to be taken captive, but also I'm going to take captive. I'm going to play defense and I'm going to play offense. And if we have that kind of strategy in the Christian life, then I think we can live out the faith, which is so necessary for us to be able to live out. So let's talk about this for a little bit. Let's talk about what does it mean to live defensively in this world and in this culture? So what are some of the philosophies that we need to be on guard against in our day today and make sure that we aren't being taken captive, being driven away from Christ, being pulled away from grace? What, what, are, what are some of those things that kind of come to your mind? One thing I hear a lot of on the internet and especially like in motivational speaker and entrepreneurial circles right now is this, I guess I would sum it up as the idea that everything you need to succeed is already inside of you. And this is coming from guys that are very successful and have built strong businesses, have great following. So from a quick glance, it would seem that what they're saying is true. But we know going back to the faith, right? We know that outside of Christ, there's nothing of true worth that we can accomplish. Mm -hmm. So to play defense against philosophy by that is saying, I accept the truth of God's word. I accept the doctrine that says outside of Christ, there's nothing I can accomplish of lasting worth, right? No matter what the voices and the influences of the philosophy of the world is, that everything I need to succeed does not live within me because mm -hmm. I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what's best for those around me. 
So to depend and lean into Christ to say that I, if I'm going to accomplish anything of worth, it's not going to be from through myself and from my own effort. Yeah. I think what first comes to my mind is just the materialism of our day and age and that mm-hmm. what matters is, is what you can produce and what you can do and what you can show for your work tangibly and how that is what motivates most people in our culture to get away from that idea and not to seek prestige or to seek fame or to seek wealth is strange in most people's eyes. And also it goes against your own desires. Yeah. You want to see at the end of your day, Hey, I made this amount of dollars. I did this amount of work. I, and, and that's not always possible whenever you're living out your faith. And there's not always that kind of tangible result to see and feel. And that's something that can be extremely discouraging. I know to me personally, and probably to others, it's a mentality that you have to get away from just the materialistic part of it. And even like some parts of our culture are taking a step away from that. Have you guys seen this? Uh, I don't know if movement's the right idea, but this idea of by experiences, not things. Hmm. Have you seen that? I've it's heard on of social it. media a lot. Of people talking about by experiences, not things. Hmm. And that feels like, oh, it's a rejection of materialism and we're valuing what matters. Hmm. But you know what? Experiences don't last into eternity either. Yeah. And that's just another way where we could easily buy the counterfeit of our culture that says, oh, we're rejecting materialism. We're buying experiences. Well, the motivation is the same. Right. As if experience trumps everything else that happens. Very interesting. To buy an experience is still to bring, to add to yourself. Mm -hmm. It's still selfishly motivated. It's for your own enjoyment. And while it may be more fulfilling in this life, it doesn't go into the other one any more than materials do. Yeah. I think, too, like along that same line, I mean, there's a whole host of theologies or philosophies that are prevalent in our day. And it's not just things like materialism or experientialism that, you know, experiences everything, money or materials is everything, but even things like popularity, likes on Facebook, you know, Mm -hmm. live for what everybody out there thinks about you. So this whole idea to just live to be popular, live to be beautiful, live to be liked, it can also pull us away from Christ, which is why it is important that we spend time every day in the Word of God. You can't possibly stack up all of the potential things that could drag you away. In fact, when you read that verse in Colossians, Paul is making it sound like philosophies, ideologies, you know, vain deceit, rudiments of this world. Like there's so many obstacles. We have so many enemies out there that are trying to drag us away that the best thing to do to counteract the counterfeit is to make sure you're in the Word of God. Mm. So if you're spending time every day in the Word of God, you're going to be building yourself up in the truth. Now, some people live their whole life just trying to point out the wrong. They live their whole life just trying to say, okay, I'm not about that or I'm not about that. And that's really what they're known for. They're known for what they're not about rather than what they are about. And what we want to be is we want to be people of the Word of God, and that's what we want to be about. Mm. We're about the Word of God because you can't possibly know or defend against every possible attack that the adversary might bring our way. But but I think another idea of this, not just the importance of the Word of God, but I think another idea is just our perspective needs to be based on truth, that we need to have a perspective where truth is what is being elevated. 
But if we're not careful and we aren't being intentional about seeing our lives through the lens of truth, then every experience that we might have is, is now all up for debate. So our perspective needs to be based on truth. So we don't, we don't simply live our life based on the objective facts of our experience, but on our, but our, our interpretation of the experience. So they, you know, they say everyone's a philosopher, everyone's a theologian, that we're constantly taking the experiences of our lives and we're interpreting them, whether positively or negatively, whether rightly or wrongly. So if we want to make sure that we're interpreting the experience of our, of our lives the correct way, we, we have to make sure that we're having a perspective of the truth, that we're looking at our lives and the way in which we're pursuing, the things in which we love, the things in which you're getting our time, and we're, we're pursuing truth in those things. So our perspective has to be based on truth. But I think also we have to maintain an eternal perspective. Derek, that goes to what you were talking about with materialism, reminding ourselves that we spend millions and millions and millions of years someplace other than right here. And what can happen in our lives is we can get so wrapped up in the day, in the pursuit of the dollar or, you know, impressing this or getting this toy where we forget, man, how short life is, but we also forget how long and how great eternity is. So we want to live with the perspective of eternity in mind. So help me understand how you guys do this in your own lives. This is something that we talked about Sunday morning in Sunday school is how Asaph in Psalm 73, he talked about for much of the beginning of the chapter, how he just was so focused on how the wicked were prospering and the righteous were oppressed. And then toward the end of the chapter, he talks about, man, how good God's been to him, how he now can see what the end of wickedness actually looks like, how it's deceitful and how the things, the things in this world are so temporal. And the thing that happens in the middle of that is that he goes into the sanctuary. He spends time in the house of God around the people of God, in the Word of God. And that was kind of what we talked about and how having people around you who are also living with the eternal mindset, staying in the Word of God, keeping those things on your mind, it kind of just gives you a different perspective on life that you can lose very quickly if all you hear are the world's philosophies mm -hmm. and everyone around you is echoing the world's ideologies. And you don't ever have that godly perspective that you get from the Word of God in the house of God or on the people of God. I think that I'm probably not the guy to, to talk about this one. Sadly, I think most of the time when I learn and have to refocus myself on eternal things, it's because I get burned with the dissatisfaction of focusing on temporal things. And you guys might be able to relate to this where when so much of my thought life and so much of my money and so much of just the time that I spend is going towards a hobby or an interest. You guys know I'm a hobby guy. Like we spearfished all summer, hunted in the fall. Now I'm getting ready to, I can't wait to snowboard this winter. Like that's just how I, I go and go and go. And when I find myself where that my passion lies in those hobbies, mm -hmm. I start to see this dissatisfaction just creeping into my life. And anxiety may not be the right word, but just an uneasiness about the way everything's going. Mm. And then I, that's where I check myself, right? Yeah. I stop and think, where have I been placing value lately? Where have my priorities been? What do I spend my passion and commitment and time? Where is that all focused? And every time that I find myself feeling that way, it's because that focus is in the wrong place. Yeah. 
So oftentimes we take that dissatisfaction and frustration and uneasiness about life and we just double down. Like I need more time, I need more relaxation time. I need more success in these areas. And we overcommit ourselves even more to the things that are causing that. But when you sense those things in your life, it's a good time to step back and to reprioritize. Yeah. So hobbies aren't bad, right? Right. But sometimes what we do is we find our identity in those things as opposed to our identity in Christ. Right. Nothing in the world is silent. It's all bombarding us every day. And the world is constantly trying to press us into a mold. And it wants us to identify ourselves as anything and everything except what the Word of God tells us to identify ourselves as. And that's what's hard, right? When I'm, I'm known as the snowboarder right. instead of known as the Christian. Or I'm known as the, I don't know, spear fisherman, right? Right. As instead of known as the Christian. And then we elevate the other identity, which isn't necessarily bad. No, obviously some of them are, but not every hobby or identity is wrong, except when I allow that to become the way in which my whole world is now shaped by that particular event that I do or thing that I do. And in the social media age, that's even more of a struggle than it probably was before because... Any hobby you have, no matter how niche it is, there's a corner of the internet where there's people that you can look at who are extremely successful at that hobby, and they live their identity by that hobby. And we're so tempted to to emulate those people because we see the success they have in an area that matters to us, and it's their identity. And we're we're just really become sheep to these people. Yeah, and that that kind of thinking is what Paul I think is warning us about playing defensive against. He's saying, don't be pulled into every kind of possible philosophy that's out there. There's so many. It's like it's hard to kind of make make a list, but it could be the opinion of a friend. It could be the lyric in a song. It could be a line from a movie. It could be a text message. It could be some article from a newspaper or a plot in a sitcom. But all of these things are imposing on us system of belief. Mm -hmm. It's imposing on us a philosophy. And our mindset as Christians has to be, we're willing to play defense against that. Mm -hmm. And we're not willing to just buy whatever truth is being sold in, in that particular philosophy or that particular, you know, moment or that particular song where we're willing to live with a discernment about those things. What are some of the ways that when you're listening to songs or you're watching movies or you're just kind of going through, you know, the regular patterns of your life, what are some things you do to make sure that you're staying on the defense and you're not just following whatever philosophy might be being promoted at that particular moment in your life? It's almost a game that I play. And uh, we've all been around uh, the kind of people who obsess over correct grammar. You know, you type up a post and the first comment is someone who says, asterisk, don't. You didn't leave put an apostrophe in there, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of play a game almost where I will do that with philosophy, where if there's something in a movie or in a song that doesn't ring me right, I try and think of the Bible verse that disproves that, right? Mm -hmm. And almost just as a, as a fun thing to do, I don't even do it aloud most of the time. I just do it in my head. But what it does is it affirms in my own heart and r reminds me personally of that's what was said. This is why it's wrong. This is from what, what God says about that subject. This is what God says about that topic. 
this is where God has spoken. And now the philosophy I'm encountering, whether in song or in film or wherever, is contradictory to this. And now in my own heart, I've gone back to God's word. I've thought of a verse and it settles it. And it, number one, defends my mind from those philosophies. And number two, it strengthens your knowledge of God's word. It's kind of a fun game to play for yourself, but yeah. also it, it guards you against those things. Yeah. I would echo echo what he said. It's kind of funny. I can remember a, a time in my a youth where my brother was singing a song and it wasn't a bad song by any means, but it had just one small phrase that basically the ideology behind it was, I'm just going to sit here and kind of sulk and things are really hard for me. Nothing sinful, nothing really. Right. It just sounded like a little bit of complaining. Had a bad day. Pretty much. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> and that was basically the, uh, just in that one short line, it wasn't what the whole song was about. But my, my mom had heard it and she goes, is that really what you should be dwelling on? Is that, is that a biblical outlook? Is that a constructed use of your thoughts? And just to think about how bad yeah. you have it and how things are really tough for you right now. That's what you're dwelling on now because of that song. And that's what you're thinking about. And that's what's consuming your mind is that problem or that issue. But it's not it's not what the Lord wants you to focus on. It's not what you should be thinking about necessarily. Yeah, that's that's to me is what Paul's talking about when he says, think on things that are true, on honest, just, of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise... Think on these things. Mm. And sometimes what we do is we just become consumers of the culture. And as consumers of the culture, we turn off our brains and we're just binge watching some show or listening through some song because we like the snappy beat or whatever. And without even realizing it, we're becoming disciples of that particular worldly philosophy, whatever it may be. I remember when... Uh, Finding Nemo came out, and my boys really wanted to watch it. So we we start the show, and Nemo swims out, and he disobeys his dad, and he goes and touches the boat, right? And as soon as he touches the boat, the scuba diver comes up and, like, snatches him away. So I just paused it for a second, and I looked at Gabe and Ethan, and I said, if he would have obeyed his dad, this whole movie would be over right now because he'd be, <laughs> he'd be safe, right? Right where he's supposed to be. That's why disobeying your parents is a bad idea. Because your your mom and dad know better, so then I said, okay, now we can watch the rest of the movie <laughs> as long as you as long as you understand this principle. But it's being on guard against that. That's what Paul is talking about. Reject the philosophies, the ideas of the world. But what's what's also interesting in that passage is he says and traditions of men. So it's not just philosophies and like vain deceits, but he also talks about the traditions of men. So doing something just because it's done before. Right? And we want to make sure to say, as we're trying to live out the faith, that we're actually following truth rather than just performing a tradition. So just because it has been done that way before doesn't mean that that's necessarily the way that we should do it. Traditions are a very normal part of life. And I think the older that I get, the more value I find in traditions, especially like my own family traditions. But tradition is not truth. And that's what we have to remember. Culture is not truth. Just because your tribe did doesn't mean you should. Or just because that's the way it always has happened doesn't mean it's the way that it should happen. There are some parts of our culture that are not biblical. And those parts 
should be rejected. So any part of our culture that is against a biblical pattern for our lives or any part of our culture that's against a biblical pattern for our family should be rejected. I think one of the easy areas to point to in that would be like the elevation of children in our culture. Just giving your kids whatever they want just to keep them happy. That's, this is not what the Bible is calling us to do as parents. The Bible is calling us as parents not just to give your kid whatever they want just to keep your kid happy. The Bible is calling us as parents to lead our children in ways that are right, that are godly, instruct and correct, and of course, unconditional love. But that unconditional love isn't understood as give them whatever they want. Mm. And a kid that was raised that way is probably a brat, right? And a kid that was raised in a way that had a biblical pattern from his parents is a kid who's probably not a perfect kid, but a kid who's growing in spiritual maturity. Just because the culture always has doesn't mean that we should. And I think there's probably lots of areas like that where we get drug away from Christ. I think that's what, because that's what Paul says in that passage. There's lots of ways we get drug away from what Christ has for us, the truth, the faith, and without even realizing it, we're doing something culturally, traditionally, with a philosophy or an ideology that's against, that's against God. But thankfully, he doesn't just say play defense, right? I mean, defense is a big part of the game. He also says play offense. So take captive every thought. So let's spend the, let's spend the, let's spend the last part of the, of the podcast today talking about that. This is probably the more encouraging part of the conversation because the negative part of the conversation is there's an enemy out there that's trying to drag us away. So the encouraging part of the conversation is, so let's be proactive in engaging in the truth. And I'll ask you, like, what, what are some ways that we can be proactive in taking captive thoughts? But I think I would start with, and we already mentioned spending time every day in God's word, but I would say, second, to make sure that you're spending every Sunday with God's people, that spending time in the church with the people of God, around the word of God, singing the praises of God, it does a reset in our spiritual hearts and our spiritual minds that helps us, man, that's right, that is important. You know, th- those sometimes in a Sunday, that's what, that's what happens for me. I'll go, oh, I needed to be reminded of that. And it's just kind of this reset that happens. And the writer of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of sin is. Of course, times get worse and worse. That's why we've got to get together with God's people in order to have that reset button pushed so that way we can make sure we know how we ought to be thinking about particular things. These are ways that we play offense. Spend time every day in God's word. Get together with God's people. I think another thought that comes to my mind is uh, as it relates to materialism, giving God a, a 10%, a tithe every week. I'm making sure I'm giving back to God as a good steward of what he's entrusted to me. Nothing that I have is mine. It's all his. Of course, we, you know, we know that. But the practice or the discipline of giving reminds us that this world is not all that there is. And it helps us fight against a materialistic philosophy that just says hoard and get and keep and don't give, don't be generous. It keeps us from having that, men- that mentality and it reminds us, oh man, God is good and everything I have is a gift from God and I wouldn't have anything except from God. And when I give, it's giving out of that understanding 
what it does is it sets my heart free from a greedy materialistic philosophy. But what, what are some of the things that maybe come to your mind? I took the three easy ones, the word of God, <laughs> church, and giving. So what, what are some things that kind of comes to your mind about, man, how do we think proactively, offensively against some of the things in this world that'll, that'll keep us the way we're supposed to be? I think that we commit ourselves to learning and growing in our knowledge of Christ in the same way that we do in other areas, right? So those who are most successful in business, which are some of you who are listening to our podcast, are constantly growing and learning in business. You read books, you listen to podcasts, you talk to people who are more successful. The same is true for hobbies, right? Those who are most successful in something that they do, they're constantly reading online, watching YouTube videos, buying a book. We don't show that same level of commitment. And the truth is that there's so much more for you to learn about the faith than just what you're going to get in a 10-minute devotion every morning. There's nothing wrong with that. We should all start with that. But God has really gifted some incredible authors that have explained his truth and broken it down in books. Uh, There's men who do that in great sermons. There's people, obviously I'd like to think us on this podcast, but, (laughs) but people with other great podcasts who talk about elements of the faith and break them down in a discussion similar to what we're having now. And so many times we don't commit ourselves to that learning about the faith that we would in other areas. Mm -hmm. So give some of your free time and put down your entrepreneurial book, turn off YouTube for a few minutes and instead decide to invest in learning and growing in the faith. Yeah. I I think of that verse that uh, the apostle Peter says, add to your faith. Right. So yeah, it begins obviously, but I have faith in Christ. Yeah. Of course, that's where it started. But there's some things you got to add to that in order to help your growing. What kind of comes to your mind, Derek? What comes to my mind first would be to look for and to embrace teaching opportunities to point out things that you've learned personally. I feel like in my own life, the times I've done the most learning were the times that I was I had to teach something. I had to mm. prepare in order to communicate it, and that's when I've absorbed the most. I think that helps me grow, but it also... I'm able to speak truth to somebody else and not everybody has a Sunday school class to teach or everybody has a church to pastor or a person to disciple, but we all have people who we do have influence over and we do have opportunities to speak truth to. And those are ways that we can take advantage of not just absorbing knowledge, not just absorbing truth, but also reciprocating and, and reproducing and, and communicating that to other people as well. While doing the teaching, we do the learning. Yeah, I I think that's a really good point. I would say also submitting yourself to accountability from others. Having someone who can freely and openly speak into your life is one of the most important Christian disciplines that is necessary to grow spiritually. And we reject that so many times. We don't like that. None of us want that, but we all need it. We all need people who come along and say, you're not thinking right about that. This isn't the right way to see that situation. This isn't the right attitude to have toward that situation. And we all need it. None of us like it. But what I have learned is very few of us pursue it Hmm. because none of us want to be told that, you know, every man thinks that what he is doing is the right thing. Um, Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it, but we all need it. I think it's one of the side effects of being someone who is an authority and has the opportunity to teach 
is that when you say something, you're now expected to live that out. Absolutely. The one thing everybody hates is a hypocrite. Yeah. And just to say it in my own mind, if I teach something, I have to remember, hey, this that's one of my main motivations. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to. Absolutely. I don't want to be someone that says something and does opposite. But just being a teacher or a communicator of truth brings a lot of accountability automatically. Yeah. And there, there's a balance to having a disposition in life that says, I'm going to go try to find the opinion of everybody else and do what everyone else thinks. There's, there's people who live that way. They live their lives that's just, it's opinion-based. But there's a balance between saying, I want everyone's opinion and I want no one's opinion. And what we want to strike as Christians is we want to strike that perfect balance. So oftentimes I strive to have this attitude where I want to find godly spiritual men who have a different perspective than I might have. And I want to say, am I seeing this situation right? Here's what happened. Here's A, here's B. So I think C, but am I, am I doing that correctly? So I think submitting ourselves to accountability helps us make sure that our thinking is the right kind of thinking. It helps us play offense. Anything else that comes to your mind about making sure we're having the right kind of thinking? I think ultimately it takes discipline. You know, I don't think there's anything you've heard today about controlling your thoughts that you probably haven't heard before in some shape or form, but we all struggle, right? I thought right then listening to Pastor talk, you know, I have people who speak into my life. I've asked people that before, but I've moved since then, right? How many people are now have I given that ability to? But the problem is I'm, I could very easily leave here and forget about that and never approach anyone and tell them that they have the permission to speak into my life for accountability. Mm-hmm. So having the discipline to implement the things that we do know and not just for a day or not just for a week, but to continually set ourselves up for success in that area by just disciplining our thoughts and taking control of those things is that's the long game, right? Yeah. So we want to play offense. We want to play defense with our thoughts. And I, I think maybe to just kind of summarize everything we've said is we want to make sure we're submitting our thoughts to the scripture. We want to make sure we're submitting our philosophies or things to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. We want to submit ourselves to spiritual leadership and others open ourselves up for accountability. But I want to end practically. Another way that we make sure that we take captive every thought is by keeping ourselves in a good frame of mind. And sometimes in my own life, I can have a long day at the office. I can have a long day at church. I have this problem I'm working through, that counseling situation. And I I take all that home. And so it's important for us to find ways that we can have outlets for that. So for me, it's taking a run, going to the beach path and taking a jog in the sun, you know, enjoying the salt water and sand, jumping on the treadmill, turning on some some kind of podcast or show to watch and watching Monday Night Football and kind of just disengaging and letting myself work out some of those frustrations through physical exercise. And I think this is important for our mental health to make sure that we're having good exercise physically. Now, it feels weird in a conversation about spiritual growth to also talk about physical exercise, but really the two are related. They tie together. That when we're in a good place physically, we can be sharp mentally, but we can also be sharp spiritually. And sometimes when we're in a bad place physically, we can be in a bad place mentally, 
and also a bad place spiritually. You know, if we don't take care of our bodies, we can't keep ourselves awake, and as soon as the sermon starts, we zonk out and we start snoozing, then we're missing the spiritual growth. So, well, you can make the checkbox, well, Dave said go to church, I did, but you slept halfway through the sermon, which means you didn't grow spiritually. And I think that's where the struggle can come in. So keeping ourselves physically sharp is a is a big point to keeping ourselves spiritually sharp. I think the discipline translates to where if you're a disciplined person physically, then that's going to translate into every area of your life, right? There's the chances that you are on top of your time with God and you're committed to spending time with him every day, you are an active prayer warrior and you go to God for those around you and for the problems you have in your own life and you're very in tune with God in those areas, but mentally you're not sharp in the workplace, physically you're in rough shape. You don't sleep like you should. You don't eat like you should. The chances that both of those situations are present in someone's life are slim to none, mm-hmm. right? It's it's It'd be very challenging to be spiritually disciplined, yet have no discipline in other areas of your life. So to, to your point, our spiritual life benefits from discipline in our physical life because it translates over. If yeah. we're disciplined in the way we take care of our body— then we will naturally be more disciplined in our spiritual life as well. So a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching those, those uh, classes on biblical manhood and being physical. The thing I, I came across was uh, the Apostle Paul said, bodily exercise profiteth little. In, in a culture where they walked everywhere they went, they were very physical people. Jesus you know, was a very physical individual. And I think if Paul were writing in our culture today, he would say bodily exercise profits a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Turn off Netflix and go outside. Be- because the cultures were so different in the ways in which they did work, the active physical element of their lives. Right. So I think it's very important for us to realize sometimes we have a refreshed mind when our bodies are refreshed. So it's not it's not just exercise, but that's a part of it. It's also the right amount of rest. It's also making sure we're eating correctly, those sorts of things. They go a long way to help us in our spiritual lives. And you can overemphasize that. I, I totally recognize that. But you could also underemphasize it. And if we're going to think right about the world in which we live, we want to stay right in balance. I had a, an older man tell me one time, he said, Dave, do you know what the most important word in your Christian life is? And I said, justification. <laughs> he said, no. I said, okay, sanctification. He said, no. He said, balance. Balance in the Christian life is the most important word to understand because it's so easy for us to get way out of balance in one area or the other. It's easy for us to make a God out of going to the gym and weightlifting. It's easy for us to make a God out of money. It's easy for us to make a God out of our hobbies. It's easy for us to let the world tell us what our identity should be. But it's also just as easy for us to say, okay, Evan said hobbies weren't good and they can be distracting. I'm not going to have any hobbies at all. Like, well, that's not what we're saying. Right. What what we're saying is you have to strike the right balance. And it's the right balance as it relates to living out the faith in which you have. And those seasons are going to look different at different times of your life. 
but we must commit ourselves to playing offense. We must commit ourselves to playing defense when it's when it's necessary. I feel like I've been a case study for this in the last year because probably four months ago, I started going to the gym every morning and it's so easy for me to see exactly the point you're trying to make, like how much my spiritual growth has become more consistent. I feel like for most of my life with Christ, I've kind of grown like the graph of a stock market, right? Like up for a while, then down, then up, then down, then up. Then, and you can make progress that way, but that's not the way that God wants you to live. And I feel like I've achieved more consistency spiritually than I have in a long time because I'm bringing consistency into my life in other ways, right? Since I've been going to the gym, not only am I sharper when I get to work in the morning because I've been up for an hour and a half, I've already accomplished something for the day, but it's easier for me to develop other habits, namely spiritual habits. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is uh, the end of episode three for us, and um, we want to tell you a few things that you need to know about stickers and merch, and so I'm gonna let uh, I'm gonna let Evan and Derek take over from this point on and, and tell us what we need to know about um, any uh, upcoming episodes or merchandise that we can be looking for. Yeah, so stickers are still available. Some of you guys have already received yours. If you got a sticker and you slapped it on something, put it on your Instagram story and tag us in it, and we would love to repost that. You might gain a follower or two, but it'll make us feel good. See our sticker on your computer. See our sticker on your car. So wherever you slap that, put it on your story, tag us in it, we'll repost it. And we also have, this will be available this week, our Faith by Hearing hats. A friend of mine, uh, Marty Mitfield, he's in Georgia and owns Marty's Patch Shack. And he's made some awesome uh, leather patch hats for us with our podcast logo. And those will be available to you for $25. Um, we'll sell those through the Instagram. So this week, by the time you hear this episode, there will be a post up. So go check them out. You'll see they're sharp, good-looking hats. I think you'll want one. And uh, if you want one, I'll, there'll be some instructions in that post on how to go about purchasing. Is there, a, is there a giveaway that we're doing for the hat? Somebody can get one for free? Yes. Yeah, so we'll throw a post up this week where we announce the hats are available for purchase. There will be some instructions in the comment section. What you need to do is put that post on your story and tag three friends in the comments. If you do that, you like the post, you put it on your story, and you tag three friends, you'll be entered into the giveaway. How we'll announce that giveaway is next week's episode. We will do a raffle right here. We'll draw a name out of a hat. You know what? Let's draw a name out of the hat we're going to give away. I, I like it. Ooh. I like it. So we'll pull a name out of that hat. So if you enter, make sure you listen to next week's episode. We'll read your name there and go ahead and get a hat sent your way. Also, next week is will be episode four. And it will be our Thanksgiving episode, so we're looking uh, we're looking forward to that. Got a couple extra little uh, sketches that are going to come your way in next week's episode. You're not going to want to miss that. We're going to fry a turkey live in the studio. In studio turkey fry. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Faith by Hearing, and now Evan's catchphrase: Faith comes by hearing, so don't miss an episode. That's not bad, right? <laughs>